Well, well, well. There's a different energy in here tonight, and you know why, Steve? Do you know why that there's a different energy? Why here? is there a different energy? Steve, episode number 50 of the Gentleman's Dojo. Oh, welcome back yeah. to the Gentleman's Dojo. Number 50. There were a lot of people who said we would not make it past the third episode, and I want to say we proved Bill Burr now magical wrong. <laughs> they said that it wouldn't last, the dojo would have no interest amongst friends and family. Yeah. But it is booming. It was only until episode 49 that All Things Comedy started retweeting us. That's true. They, they hadn't up until then. Yeah, Exactly, yeah. 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 This and, is big. In fact, we don't even use their studio. We're broadcasting from Michelle's station on La Brea. A lot of people <laughs> don't know that. So Episode 50, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been... By the way, we look back on the first 49. If you had to pick one episode, just one, what was your favorite? Favorite? Yeah. Out of the gates? Uh, I got to say your mom. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I swear to God, she really First one when she was, was in studio. Both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she called in. It was hilarious. But when she was in studio, it was really heart, heartwarming to yeah. me and touching. And I really... And on top of that, she's just a great woman. I really I, love her. I also do love when she called in the second one when we did the call-in show, yeah. which was a huge success, had almost uh, four and a half callers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one was on accident. <laughs> one was Brad Williams. Uh, <laughs> so we had this call-in, and I just remember she's giving this soft, emotional plea that she was apologetic and wanted your forgiveness for you know, making fun and this, that, and the other thing, and then two seconds later, she's bagging on you about the Esquire show. Yeah, I wonder where she got it all from. So I, that my mom obviously was one of my favorites. Uh, also- How are you? Cash Levy, still one of my favorites. Cash was, was yeah, he would be my top five. Yeah. Pickup Artist was another great one. Yep, 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 yep. Boy, all of my guests. Huh. <laughs> I can't even think of who you booked. Some hockey player. Um, But I, I like Cash talking about all the sneak-ins to every different event that he's done. Well, Theo Fleury was definitely something I didn't really anticipate. You know, I, I kind of knew, but I didn't realize how open he would be. In terms of everything that happened to him when he was coming up in the farm leagues in Canada. Right. And uh, that by far was one of the most impactful, I think, episodes we've done so far. But it was it was fun going back from the from the very beginning, discovering it and figuring out what we were trying to do. Yeah. And then it just became, let's just talk to people we're interested in, not just strictly do stand-ups. But every now and then, if a stand-up is intriguing, why not talk to him or her? Yeah, it is crazy because... What's interesting is you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yes. What, yes. Hello. What you <laughs> you don't realize what you're going to get until you reach out, right? So yeah. I think one of our podcasts that we both agree was awesome that we never thought could even be tackled was Howard Warshaw with the ET game. Like yeah, was Atari game over. Yeah, you and I both watched the movie literally a week before. I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah, and just reaching out to him and him still willing to talk about it and have an interest in it. And, and talk to us. I mean, you just, I, I guess you realize that people still want to talk or tell their story. And I, when, when we got him, I thought that, that was a big thing. And Yeah. And it was amazing, too, that he is responsible for literally one of the greatest accomplishments with Yar's Revenge on mm -hmm. Atari and its biggest failure, quote unquote, yeah. on Atari. And he just had such a great, healthy, kind of optimistic outlook on it all in retrospect and moving forward in his life. And I think, it, I, I don't know, I found him to be very inspiring. I liked having Patricia Ward-Kelly on. Yep. Talking about all those stories about Gene Kelly. That was really, really awesome. Yeah, she I, was I could great. Talk to her. I could have talked to her for another two or three hours. She was great. She was great. I also, I mean, I think two of the mm -hmm. last ones we've done have been yeah. my favorite. Right. So <laughs> Dan Laria, this is, I oh, loved. Dan, Dan, Dan was the great. Best. Just great. And I loved... Matt Eisman, he was fantastic. Such a humble 
nice, lovable guy. I love Iceman, and I love who we have on today because this is yeah. this is you. I, I'm not gonna. I, I got I'm not like one. you. I'm not gonna dump on. I'm not gonna bag on you all the time like you bag on me. But I will right, give credit where credit is due. Yeah. You pulled off. It's a big one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Easily. An amazing feat yeah, yeah, yeah. for our small little podcast, but I love this guy. Who doesn't? Who, uh, honestly, who who truly doesn't between comedians yeah. and the general, just, but you go ahead and- Well, I got to tell you, he, he is on the line right now. The greatest. He's on the line. He's done it all, and he's joining us and adding our show to his resume. <laughs> one of the most respected comics working out there today. We love him, and I can't believe that he's joining us for episode 50. This is just, I, I, I'm, I'm tingling with excitement that he's coming on our show. How about a round of applause for Brian Regan, everybody? This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, Man, Brian? Episode, episode 50? A lot of people said we wouldn't make it past episode two, but we are showing people that we are here. And let me just say this, Brian. I know that you've done so many great things in your career, but as a little boy, did you ever expect to be on a podcast with two guys that can't sell more than 30 tickets? Did you ever think that this would be <laughs> something? Speak for yourself, Gary. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, they say you got you to gotta shoot for the stars. <laughs> shoot for the stars. And you might land somewhere in between. No. Um, no, man. I'm honored to be on with you guys. It's very nice of you to we love invite you. me, and thank you very much. I got to say, just from a personal perspective, the first gig I ever got on the road uh, was Charlie Goodnight's. I forget. I forget what year it is. I have like a journal. I could go back and like literally look up the dates, but I got to literally MC the show for you, and it was it was the first of two back to back weekends where I was doing. Uh, the weekend with you and then with Amazing Jonathan. And there were two just amazing weekends, but uh, it was my first kind of foray leaving New York City and going out and kind of experiencing the road. And I could not, looking back in retrospect, I couldn't have found, you couldn't wish a better headliner to work with, and not only work with, but to watch over and over and over again over the course of the weekend. And just, I was blown away. So I, I cannot thank you for that experience enough, Brian. Well, gosh, you're very kind, man. Um, He's about ready to ask you for more work. Me and, a, me and Amazing Jonathan are like on two opposite ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what a two-week what a two week, uh, swing. I, I love his stuff, man. Well, but that's interesting that uh, those – you mean you worked there for two weekends in a row? I got – yeah, because in order for me to leave New York and kind of make it worth my while, I guess, my – "Quote unquote," uh, booking agent at the time booked me in two back-to-back weekends, and uh, you know I got yeah. to hang out there and Charlie Goodnights for two weeks, and it was yeah, it was <laughs> the pendulum definitely swung to the left and to the right between those two weekends. It was definitely <laughs> a different experience. Um, I do want to ask cool. you because um, we we don't want to take too much of your time up. I do want to ask you what did stand-up mean to you when you first got into it, and what does it mean to you currently to this current current day? Well, when I was in college, when I decided I wanted to be a comedian, it was interesting for me because it was the first time where I felt, you know, passionate, where I was like, hey, man, like, I really, really want to do this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I just knew that it was, you know, fun to make people laugh, my friends and stuff like that. But when I hit on the idea of, being a stand-up comedian, I thought this is kind of an audacious thing, if that's the right word, to uh, to go after. And I was 
you know, I had no idea if it would work out or not, but it, it was kind of exciting to feel like I'm at least going to try this. Yeah. I said to myself, I'm going to try it, and I'm going to try it. <laughs> and it's like, if I fail, I fail. And, um, you know, I haven't succeeded yet, but uh, <laughs> Come I keep on. at it. Maybe one of these days. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've uh, you know, I've enjoyed it ever since. I mean, is there is there a point where... When do you say to yourself, uh, you know, of all the years that you're doing stand-up, when do you say to yourself, well, I, I've actually made it? Like, I feel like I don't have to go back to doing a day job. Comedy is 100% now the gig. What, what was that moment for you where you're like, wow, this is, this is what I get paid to do? Well, there's different moments. The, the, club, the club where I started at, I had to uh, – I worked there. I sat people. This is at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Sister Club to the comic strip in New York. They opened one in nice. Fort Lauderdale. That's where I started. I was a busboy, dishwasher. I took reservations. Uh, I sat people. I, I did all of that. And so they would let me go on at the end of the night. And so I did that for a couple of years. Then I went out on the road. And, you know, I'm playing like these little weekend rooms or one-nighters. And when it was like between shows and stuff like that, I would help <laughs> I would help the waitresses bust the tables because that's that's what was in my bones. You know, I felt <laughs> weird just sitting there. And then finally, somebody came up to me and said, you know, it's nice of you to want to do this, but you're just getting in everybody's way. <laughs> <laughs> Move. <laughs> Appreciate the gesture, but you're not helping anybody. Right. <laughs> Can you just sit down in the back? And I said, uh, okay. So I just sat down, and I remember, like, that was the moment where it was like, I guess I'm just this. I guess, I guess I'm just a comedian. And it, it was a very weird moment to go so i just tell jokes and when i'm done i don't have to help clean up man. <laughs> um <laughs> it was very bizarre but like financially was there that moment where you're like oh wow i'm making enough doing this that i don't have to worry about other things uh that's always been like a a gradual thing but I'll tell you, like, a weird moment. It was when I first got a manager. My manager is Rory Rosegarden, um, who was also, you know, Ray Romano's yeah. manager and Robert Klein's manager. And so I was in New York doing my thing. Uh, this is after the Fort Lauderdale thing. I, I moved to New York. So Rory signs me, and he gets me a gig at some college prep school down in New Jersey. I, I don't remember the name of the school. I was living in New York. And I was still doing, you know, spots at the improv and danger fields and stuff like that. So he gets me a spot, uh, uh, this gig, for $1,000. I had never, I, I, I had never even dreamed of getting $1,000 for a show. So I took the train down there. I did the show, and it went well. So I felt like, okay, wow, this feels pretty good. I get back on the train, and I'm heading back to New York, and I'm thinking, I've got time to hop on stage at the improv. So I get back to New York 
I hop on stage at the improv, and then after the show, they give me $15. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm not sure what my comedy's worth. Um, is it worth 1000 or is it worth 15 or something in between? I don't know. But both gigs taxed you. <laughs> you got a 1099 for both gigs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Brian, I mean, you've just... You've accomplished so much in your career. Is there a goal that you that that is still out of reach that you're looking to aspire or attain? Yes, yes. I I would love for I would love to have an opportunity to do a, a show. I say a, I used to say a TV show, but now with the internet, you know, a, a show even on the internet. Is strong. I mean, look at Seinfeld's comedians and cars getting coffee. You yeah. Know? Um, so there's different platforms out there to do a show, but I would like to do. I, I'd like a shot at it. You know, uh, 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 like like you had. You know, which was fantastic, and I'm very proud of you for. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. I always think that anybody that, you know, especially at the level you got a show that that is like being a. Super Bowl winning quarterback, you know, that no one will ever take that away from you. And it's uh, it's a cool thing just to have that little feather under your cap. Well, to to keep it honest, though, I was on TBS. So it was like winning the WNBA (laughs) championship, (laughs) to be honest with you, Brian. And it was a summer show, and you know. It's... And in fairness, Brian, it was taken away. <laughs> <laughs> it was taken away after 33 episodes. <laughs> so did they come and take the trophy away. They did, yeah. <laughs> you want a show, but you want it to be successful. We understand. I'll say it on behalf on behalf of you, Brian. <laughs> no, man. I mean, you know. So I would just like you know, the planets to line up in a way where some network or some group of people would say, hey, do what you want to do. But it would have to be under that umbrella, too. I mean, I right. I, I would want it to be about how I think as a comedian, and, and I, I need to be sitting down at the table and saying, hey, let's do this, let's do that. And if I can't get that, then I'd rather not even have a crack at it. Sort of like what Ray Romano did, right? I mean, he was given this sitcom and he said here's what I want to do, this is how I want to present it, and they fought him on it, kind of almost like Louis C.K., but you, you want it to be your own thing and not let the networks get involved, right? Correct. And, and, and I know that that's, you know, practically impossible, <laughs> especially the, the bigger networks, you know. I, here's my fantasy. I want, I want one network meeting, right? I walk in, and there's a fat cat. He's sitting behind a desk. He's smoking a stogie, and he says, uh, hey, man, I like you, kid. Go do a show, and this is the last you're going to hear from me. <laughs> Please don't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want that guy walking around on the set with his cigar going, right. you know, maybe if you did this and maybe if you did that. Oh, no, please, please stay but, in your office. But it's interesting because you talk about, you know, the level of difficulty it is just to get a show, which absolutely, which is crazy how Steve and I talk about people walking away from a show when it's successful. But, I mean, you're doing something that's so unattainable for 99% of the comics in terms of working theaters. And, you know, I just saw you last time at the Dolby you know, home of the Academy Awards sold out. Aaron Rodgers is there. I mean, it just I, when you walk out on that stage in front of a sold-out Dolby Theater, like w- what's going through your mind? I mean, that has to be 
absolutely crazy. Oh, man. I, I love everything about it. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate, you know, just to be able to do this for a living, you know, and, and, and to have gotten to a point where a handful of people seem to like it, you know. Um, I, I love it. And I never get bored by it when I'm backstage before a show, any show. You know, I mean, like the Dolby in L.A. is certainly like a, a big thing, but, you know, I could be in Erie, Pennsylvania or Greensboro, North Carolina. And when I'm backstage, I look out, I see a microphone, I see a stool with a bottle of water on it, and hearing the murmur of the crowd just gives me a warm feeling every night. I know it sounds corny, but I'm like, how lucky am I <laughs> that, you know, I just get to go out there and just share some goofy thoughts with these people and you know, they seem to like it, and they give me a handful of dollars afterwards. I'm like, right. this is pretty cool. <laughs> I got to ask you, Brian, because it seems like it seems like stand-up has definitely changed over the last 15 years, definitely since I've been in, where prior to it seemed like you cut your chops on the road, and you really were respected as a comic. You look at all those comedians in the, in the 80s that got those sitcoms. They were really known as, like, kind of road dogs, and now... It's almost like two kind of camps. It's like road comics, and then there's like the alternative comics that almost have like a chin stroke or kind of elitist vibe about themselves where they're all going to the Ivy League schools. And for some reason or another, you you are somebody that is absolutely respected amongst both camps because anytime you go into like, you go down to Meltdown or UCB or you go down to the Irvine Improv or Hollywood Improv or any of these clubs that the road guys are working at and coming off, every time comics talk about comics, your name is revered. What do you think you're doing? Or if you had to describe, why do people love you so much? Because I'm one of those guys and I, it's something where all those elitist kind of like snobby Everybody. comics, they still love you as well. You just, you, you're kind of like that guy that crosses all the boundaries. Uh, well, first of all, thanks, man. I, it's very kind of you to say. And um, I don't know. I, I'm always uncomfortable <laughs> you know, feeling like I'm even close to patting myself on the back, you know, it's like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm part of me is like, I, I just try to always be careful <clears throat> to, to not try to figure out what the audience wants and to not try to figure out what comedians want. Right. You know, I, I always try to always come back to what do I think is funny? What do I think is funny? What do, and, and, and if people agree, well, then great. Then that can be, stay in my act, you know what I mean? But I've always tried to resist going, what will this audience laugh at? But at the same time, I try to resist, what would comedians look up to? What would comedians respect? You know, I, right. I try to be careful not to cater to either one of those groups. I'm just like, I'm like, what do I think is funny? And, and, um, and that's one thing I do sometimes when I'm on stage. If a show's not going great, <laughs> I got this goofy little thing I do where I go, hell with all these people. Imagine me sitting out in the middle of the audience and just make me laugh. And then once, when I do that, I feel like I'm being true to what I'm trying to do that night. Right. You know, and I, I still might not get them back, you know what I mean? But at least I feel like I'm not selling out. I'm not chasing it. I hate that feeling of chasing after a crowd or... Mm -hmm. or you know what I mean? It's just yeah. a, it's an uncomfortable feeling. 
So if I hear you correctly, Brian, you're saying you're the anti-Orny Adams. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Yeah, what does that mean? What it means is Brian is loved by everybody, but he's selfish. It's all about him. What makes me laugh? Me. Very selfish. <laughs> no, he's the best. No, no, no. Yeah, so, and, and like, say I do have a really good show, and I walk off stage, people go, nice set. They really like you. I say, I don't give a shit about them. <laughs> Where's that money? <laughs> and don't look at me. Where's the guy with the cigar? <laughs> but, 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 but listen, there's no possible way that if you have a theater full of fans, right, that are rabidly there to see you, I'm, I'm sure that there's never times now that you're not just crushing every theater, correct? And you're going to be modest in your answer, but I know that the answer is you're not doing – you know what I'm saying? No, I, you, you mean like uh, – no, I, I have shows where you know, I, I, I continue to experiment and play around. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm going to have, you know, shows – I mean, I'm always trying to get the job done when I'm on stage. But at right. the same time, I'm always trying to add new stuff and uh, let stuff fall by the wayside and, uh, you know, new stuff. You don't know what's going to happen with it, you know, and if you're not willing to, you know, try new things, you're you're never going to continue. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I've been fortunate enough to have a following is when people come out to see me, I'd like to feel like they're if they saw me two years before, they're going to see a bunch of stuff they didn't see last time. Right. right. You know, and, um, you know, I like that compliment as much as. You know, if somebody comes up and says, hey, man, I thought you were funny tonight, certainly that feels good. But I also like when people come up and say, man, we saw you a year or two years ago. Most of the stuff you did tonight, we never heard before. I, that, I like that compliment just as much. Well, They've I never said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I've been doing the same act since 83. I will say this. I, I used to work at, prior to even... You know, my first job out of college was at Caroline's Comedy Club. I had never been to a stand-up show before, and... Because I was working at the club, I was introduced to stand-up and was entranced by it and wanted to pursue it. But I remember you coming in there, and I brought my parent. I, I was absolutely blown. I didn't know anything about stand-up. And you came in, you were headlining, and I was just blown away. And I brought my parents back the next night. And I was like, you got to see this guy. And we came, and I'd watched your show the night before, and I'm watching it with my parents. And the first 30 minutes was completely a different 30 minutes and I was just, I was talking to the staff and I was like, does he always, and it, you were just mixing it up that whole time. But it was, it was unbelievable that you have that plethora of material. But I, I do want to uh, ask you this. Well, thanks, man. You know, look, I, I think like comedy in some way is rooted in failure because it's a trial and error. It's a trial and error. But then also there's the peaks and valleys of, of the career itself. What to you was the biggest failure to yourself um, over the course of your career, and then what did you, how did you come out and break into the light and, and take away from it? What did you learn from it? I've had some, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've, I've had some, you know, pretty devastating crushes, like negative crushes, you know, um, where you think, wow, this might be the thing, and uh, it goes away, or it doesn't happen. And, and one of those experiences for me was when I was living in New York City, mm -hmm. And do you remember uh, Rodney Dangerfield's Young Comedian special? Oh yeah. Well, you know, and, and that that would that broke comedians. I mean, like you know, uh, 
people who you never heard of would get on that show and boom, they were a star because of it. You know, it mm-hmm. was a huge, huge thing to get on. Well, I wasn't even on the audition for it. I was emceeing the audition for it at Dangerfields in uh, New York City. And and if if you ever emceed at Dangerfields, they would make the uh, MC go on at the end when the checks dropped and eat checks for 15 minutes. <laughs> Jesus. So so I'm I, I'm not even like thinking that they're looking at me. You know, they, they weren't there for me. I was bringing up all of the auditioners to try to. And Rodney Dangerfield was in the back. The HBO people were in the back, and they were watching the auditioners. And then the checks hit. And then I got to go up there and eat for 15, you know, just eat yeah. it for 15 minutes. But, but I had figured out a way to be funny and self-deprecating because I'd done it a lot of times. And then the, the set's over and I'm getting ready to leave. And then somebody comes up to me and says, the uh, Rodney Dangerfield and the HBO people are interested in you for wow. the comedian special, young comedian special. And I'm like, I wasn't even on the audition, you know. Yeah. And they were like, well, we, they, they were watching you the whole night and liked what you were doing. But they know that it was unfair for you to do the check spot, so they'd like for you to come in tomorrow night and do a set, and they want to watch you specifically. So I was oh. like, damn. So I came in the next night, and it was like, a, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, you know what I mean? It was like uh, 20 people in the audience, 25 yeah. people in the audience, Rodney Dangerfield in the back, a uh, couple of HBO people in the back. Um, I don't have to warm up to have an MC. MC goes up, does his thing, brings me up. It's a dead crowd, and I go up and die. Oh, gosh. Die. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I just, like, you know, I, and I walk off stage after a 15-minute, 20-minute set and um, went out to the bar. I don't even know what, I don't even know what to do. I was, like, embarrassed to walk by the table. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to put them on the spot of not having to make eye contact with me, you know? <laughs> So I, I just walked out to the bar like a numb, you know, that feeling of what, what, what just happened. Yeah. And then Rodney Dangerfield walked out and said, uh, hey, you know, I just want you to know, it's, it's not up to me. It's a group that makes the decision, you know, so, uh, hey. And I'm like, all right, no problem, man. I just I want to thank you for the opportunity. I just really, really appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, and then I walked out. I didn't get the show, but it was crushing for me at the time. You know, because at the time, when you have those moments, you think this is the moment. This is it. Right. And then when it doesn't happen, you don't have the luxury of getting in a time time travel machine and going 15 years ahead and going, oh, no, everything's going to be okay. Right. <laughs> you, think it, you think that's it. And so it, it, was, it hurt for, um, for a couple months until, you know, something else came around the corner. Uh, isn't that that's so crazy? Well, if it's any consolation, Steve didn't make it on the comics Unleashed. <laughs> Over the eight seasons that they did, Steve was all right. Not... Thank you. So you know exactly what I'm talking Oh, Steve about, knows. Man. Steve yeah. knows. Um, <laughs> we we were wondering that this is this is a, a question we're so interested in. You know, when when you work clubs, obviously there were certain things when you started headlining that would frustrate you because things weren't done the right way and the staff, you know, hadn't prepped the club up the right way and now that you're at this completely different level you're working theaters you're working these amazing spots is there something that frustrates you when you work these great amazing venues that just doesn't get done or you know you walk in and something isn't right is there because i'm sure that you still experience something but what what would that be um 
Well, I mean, you know, there are things that can be troublesome. I, I have a great tour manager, and he's pretty on top of everything. You know what I mean? So, but you know, things are going to fall through the cracks. I, I have, and this I'm sure isn't unique to me, but it bothers me when somebody in the very front row is holding the iPhone up at you and not even trying to be discreet about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm. It isn't so much that they're filming me, it's that other people around are watching the guy film me and it's like a distraction. And I'm not good at switching gears. And it, once I have to put the disciplinarian hat on just for even a second, it completely, you know, changes the mood and the tone of what I'm trying to do up there. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, uh, and it's very hard to, to go, hey, Put your stupid phone away, stupid, stupid idiot. <laughs> and then go, by the way, do, do sprinkles on donuts bother you? <laughs> but you do, you, you have to become, do you have to become the sheriff for a few seconds because there's no security in the audience? <laughs> You're yelling, take luck. Yeah. Yeah, once I have to put the sheriff badge on, I'm, I'm no good at getting back to the comedy. I'm going to just be a sheriff for the rest of the show. Put the, put the phone away. Take luck. <laughs> take, take luck and care. Take you over. Want to videotape you right in front of my face? Well, Brian, we're, we're nearing the finish line. We do something every now and then with, with guys and gals that we really love, and it is a segment we call How 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 good does Wikipedia know Brian Regan? So we're gonna do this with you real quick. Um, according to Wikipedia, your first television appearance was. Well, am I supposed to say? You're supposed to answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you jump in. Gary's filming oh, it with an iPhone right now. I don't know. What, I don't know what it says. Um, and it, my my first TV appearance on a national level was MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour. Ooh, Wikipedia, I, I guess got it wrong. It's saying the Pat Sajak show in 1989. Well, they're wrong. They're wrong. Okay, Wikipedia, you messed up. Pat Sajak. Number of times you've appeared. I mean, I was on Pat Sajak, but it wasn't the first thing that I was on. Oh, okay. Uh, number two, the number of times you appeared on the David Letterman program. I believe it was 28. Bingo. That is astounding, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask uh, really quickly. Thank you. I was really good. I was going to ask this really, really quickly. Yeah. At what point, Brian? Because obviously you did the show so many times. At what point does the booker just leave you alone? That you go in there, you know what set you're going to do. They just leave you be, and you don't have to run it for eight people five times the night before. They I, that happened. Yeah, probably. You know. At about the 12th or 13th, maybe, you know, um, where they just started trusting that they knew right. that I knew what they wanted. And, you know, I, I still always um, submitted the set. You know, they had different things that happened over the years. But uh, sometimes, like when Eddie Brill was doing it, you know, I would just do the set over the phone for him. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, but great. then when he was no longer there, I would just script it out and just send it in. Um, rarely did they ever question it or whatever. You know, I think uh, I look at my stuff in print and I'm thinking, 
sometimes it doesn't look very funny, you know. <laughs> they're going to probably read this and go, we've got to cancel this guy immediately. <laughs> they're going to send you to Pat Sajak. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing I'm sending in is, you know, Brian hunches over, crosses eyes, and makes loud noises. <laughs> Well, Brian, we cannot For four thank... and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we better book it before somebody else gets it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Brian, we cannot. Uh, we we don't want to take too much time because we know you're you're calling, and, and we uh, like fine, from man. both I of us. You guys have me on. We love you so much, and there's you know thank we're you. probably speaking on behalf of every comic that we even know and are friends with. We love you, and I pray to God that you get that show as well because I'll be the first to. Be in line or get a ticket or to or, work or on it. Tune in to watch it. <laughs> Shut yeah. up, Gary. <laughs> Brian, let but me we just, love you, man. Let Thank me you. say my pet peeve: love. you have forty-nine followers on Twitter. We, Steve and I want to be added. We want to be uh, forty-eight. Oh, to 49. Don't be that guy. No, no, no. Uh, but we really, I mean. I just saw your latest Fallon. I mean, so funny. Just the the great joke about the other team said that you guys were great sports. That they were, you know, they they really. I mean, that 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 joke about uh, they give us a lot of luck or. Uh, the joke was what? What was how the joke? Let go? him do it. You do it, Brian. Don't. Oh, they uh, give him a lot of credit. A lot of credit. Yeah, you got to give that team a lot of credit. I would have know? been here sooner, but my face was covered in champagne and balloon streamers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just it's such a great I joke. I'm laughing at my own joke, but you're, you're, the way you're telling it is good. But you could tell, like when you were on Fallon, you paneled for a couple seconds. Like Fallon just was all over you, just genuinely. A huge, huge fan, and that just—that's got to mean so much because you've done all the late night shows. I mean, people adore you, and and it is honestly true. Uh, you cannot find anyone that doesn't put you in their top three yeah. favorite comics. It, it's impossible. You just can't find anybody. I, I'm I'm blown away by the huge compliments. You guys are incredible. It's absolutely nice. true. It's yeah. absolutely thank true. You. Well, thank you, my friend. You. Keep killing it. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at some point on the on the tube on the big screen, and we love you, man. Thank you so yeah. much, Brian Regan. That's very kind. You guys yeah. have a great uh, rest of your day, man. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Thank you. All right, bye. The Epis- best episode fifty, like, right there. The best. I am just still like, and it really is. It's so true. You're never gonna find somebody who does not put him in in their top three favorites. Always, always, literally, up there. always. You know, so many times, like when we traveled with the Sullivan and Son tour, you know, every now and then you have that conversation where you just say, who are your top three comics that you love listening to now? Who'd you grow up with? And it's just like, it's, he is across the board. Guys love him. And by the way, urban comics love Brian Regan as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he really is just, I mean, and I remember seeing him at the Dolby. Sold out, sitting right in front of us was Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And Olivia Munn, you're like... Wow, these guys are fans. I mean, it's just like he is the—he's just the real deal. And I couldn't ask for a better guest for our fiftieth episode here on the Gentleman's Dojo, all things comedy. What a great way to wrap up episode fifty. That was episode fifty. Crazy in the can. Crazy. Um, where can they find you? Can and comedy. Come on, serious. Really, what is it? I love this song from Five Hundred Days of Summer. Okay, uh, <laughs> at Steve Byrne Live. We cannot thank you guys enough for listening. The past fifty episodes. I think we get to 100 and then we quit. Uh, by the way, yeah. this weekend, we will be at Stand Up Live in Phoenix. Stand Up Live in Phoenix. On the Brea Plenty. Improv, Chicago Improv. A lot of dates coming up. On Follow us on Twitter. On the Plenty of Tickets Available Tour, so uh, check us here out. We, go. we love you guys. Thanks, Brian.